privilege to be here tonight. Uh, I want to start by thanking everybody who came out tonight. Thank you. I see my FPU families in the house. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, you know, it's standing in this pulpit. Um, you know, there's some big shoes to fill, right? And uh, as long as none of you expect me to be Pastor Wilson, we'll be all right. Uh, I want to thank my beautiful wife. Yeah. I love you, baby. Thank you so much for me, for being there for me. I love you so much. Thank you. Um, and of course, I have to thank God for yes. whom none of this would be possible for what we yes. Let us pray. Eternal Father God, we come before the throne of grace once again, as humbly as we can, thanking you, God, for this opportunity. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to walk into the house of prayer tonight and to hear from you, God. We pray that you would use the man of God in a mighty way that you have sent to speak your word, God. Do something that only you can do, God, and that's anoint him with supernatural wisdom. God, let me sit down and let the Holy Spirit speak through me, Father. Because your people came to hear from you tonight. They didn't come to hear from me, God, but they came to hear a word from you. So I pray, Lord God, that you would use me in a mighty way. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If we could all stand for the reading of God's holy word. Uh-huh. Tonight we're going to be coming out of the gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to Luke chapter 9. The gospel of Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 57. And we're going to read through 62. All right. <laughs> Still hear some pages turning and all. Wait till everybody gets there. And he reads, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Listen, listen. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Uh -huh. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Uh -huh. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Oh, and all God's people said amen. amen. The title of this message tonight is The Cost of Following the Leader. All right, the Cost of Following the Leader. All right. Let's hear it, Will. See, family, when I made the decision to dedicate my life to Christ, I thought of all the things that I was going to be getting. Yeah. I thought of the joy, of the peace, of the love, of the eternal life, of the grace, of the mercy, of the forgiveness, uh -huh. of the salvation. But I never really thought about how much those things would cost. All right. When in fact Jesus himself says to count the cost. Yes. Right, right. Now you see, I remember this acronym from economy, it's called Tenstoffel. Okay. And Tenstoffel stands for, there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> you see, everything costs. 
And just because it appears free to you, it appears free for you, doesn't mean that there's a cost. Yeah. Right. So I found this man's declaration at the beginning of the, 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 the passage interesting. This unmanned name, um, in, in Matthew's gospel, it calls him a scribe, but in Luke it doesn't say anything. This gentleman is willing to follow Jesus wherever. He yeah. says, I'm willing to follow you wherever, like to the end of the earth, wherever. Wow. Like Jesus gets up and starts walking, and he's like, hey, Jesus, where are we going? Uh-huh. Wherever, right? He's going to follow this man, and Jesus said he's going to follow him wherever. And the Greek word here for follow is akalutheia, which uh-huh. means to pursue or to come after. Right. And if you remember earlier in the in the chapter, verse 23, Jesus said, is any, if any of you are willing to come after me, uh-huh. you must first, what? Deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me, yes, sir. right? And I'm reminded of the, the nursery rhyme, Jack and Jill. All right. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Uh-huh. Jack fell down and broke his crown, and Jill yeah. came to oh, come yeah. after. Right. Right. And I was like, Jill was a loyal sister, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Like, like, for real, Jill was loyal. Like, to go tumbling after Jack, you had just seen him go down the hill, right? Uh-huh. I mean, think about it. Jack fell down, broke his crown, and Jill came tumbling after that means Jack fell down first, uh-huh. right? So Jill came tumbling after Jack. Why? Because Jill was following Jack. Jill was pursuing Jack. She was acclimating Jack, right? Jack fell down, and Jill fell down right along with him. This man is saying, Jesus, I will follow you. I will come after you. That's a pretty bold declaration. But if we want to follow Christ, we have to understand that it's going to cost something. Yeah, yes, yeah, sir. I've got three points that I'm going to give you tonight. All right. Point number one is it's going to cost you your rest. Okay. Point number two is it's going to cost you your priorities. All right. And point number three is it's going to cost you your round trip ticket. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. You ready to study again? All right. All right. Let's see it. Beginning at verse 57, the Bible says, As they were going along the road, Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Uh And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Bible says in verse 57, as they were going along the road. Uh And to me, when I'm reading this, when I get to this word right here, as, I think it's inserted here as as a conjunction. Right from the passage before this. Okay. Meaning that there was something that was going on before this that pertains to this story. For me, that's how I read it, right? So as a good Bible student of New Beginnings Church, when I got to verse 57, I started to ask myself, what road are they on? Uh-huh. Who's on this road? Where are they coming from? Where are they going? Yeah. Right? And so to get that, I had to yes, go to the passage before this. And I don't want to get too detailed about that passage because it's not my text tonight. But I think that it's important to my first point, right? So I wanted to briefly share it with you. Briefly. Jesus sends his disciples, James and John, out uh-huh. to go make accommodations for him and the crew to stay in the Samaritan village. Right, right. The Bible says that the village would not accept him because of where he was headed. Yeah, yeah. The village would not accept him because uh-huh. of where he was headed. Uh-huh. Well, where was he headed, Brother Wilson? I'm glad you asked. Uh-huh. The Bible says the people did not receive him because his face was set towards yes, Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah, And that is so loaded. I can't unpack it all for you tonight, but I'm going to give you a couple quick nuggets. I want you to remember the reason why this village was not willing to receive Jesus because his face was set for Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was not just going to a Jerusalem as a destination, but this was a mission for Jesus. The Bible says his face was set towards Jerusalem. In other words, his gaze was on Jerusalem. His heart longed for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on his mind, and his mind was on Jerusalem. Preach, Will! What is the significance of Jerusalem? 
Well, in the Bible, according to my Bible, my Zondervan Bible Dictionary, the, the name Jerusalem is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible, and then it's alluded to hundreds of other times in the Bible. Even in the Gospel of Luke, the city of Jerusalem seems to be a reoccurring focal point in the Gospel of Jerusalem, uh-huh. or in the Gospel of Luke, right? Luke chapter 1, verses 58 through 8, or verses 5 through 8, Luke opens in the temple in Jerusalem. Chapter 2, verses 22 through 38, Jesus is brought as a baby to the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah. In the same chapter, verses 41 through 50, at age 12, Jesus goes back to the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Chapter 24, verses 41 through 43, the resurrection appearances of Jesus occurred in and around Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yeah. The same chapter, verse 47, the mission to go to all nations begins in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Continuing chapter 24, the verse 49, Jesus tells Work, the disciples to particularly wait for him in Jerusalem. And finally, the same chapter, verses 52 to 53, the story closes in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yes, you see, the city of Jerusalem is very important. Very it's important. a focal point in Luke's, Luke's gospel. And probably one of the things that I really want you to understand about the city of Jerusalem is that it's the place where the temple is set. Yes. It's the place where people go to meet God. It's the place where people go to worship God. Yes. If you were part of God's people, that's where you went to worship with God. Now again, remember Jesus, his face is set on Jerusalem, but not just simply as a destination. It's also as a mission. Yeah. See, Jerusalem for Jesus was not just a destination, it was a mission. Jerusalem is uh, central to Jesus' ministry, right? Uh-huh. It's a focal point. Yeah, right. The Bible says in Luke 18, 31 to 32, and taking the twelve, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. I notice it says they were going up to Jerusalem, even though they were traveling south. That's right. See, they were going up to Jerusalem. Everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. Can I tell you more about Jesus? Tell us more, Sam! You know that we don't have to go to Jerusalem to get to the temple where God resides in uh-huh. Why? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus fulfilled his mission. Yes. Yes. Jesus fulfilled his mission. You see, Jesus was going to that temple to reduce the glory of that temple. And when he was going to that temple, when he destroyed the value of that temple, he made a new place for God to dwell. And that is inside you and us. The Bible says in the Old Testament that the glory of the present temple, the glory of this temple right here, the glory of the temple that I have right now, is greater than that of the former temple. That means that we now have the glory of God inside of our own Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Jesus completed this mission, and now our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we set our eyes on Jerusalem, we only have to go as far as the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's good, son. I'm just grateful that Jesus Jesus had me in mind. Very good. Because can you imagine like how much money it would cost to go to Jerusalem? Yeah. I mean, yeah. My goodness. <laughs> I bet. But are we resting on the Jerusalem that is now in our hearts? Wow. Wow. Because Jesus completed his mission, we became the temple of God. And if we follow Jesus and we come after him, someone else may experience what it means to be that. Yes. Now, this type of traveling was not simply a, we're on our way to Jerusalem as a destination, as I mentioned. My man tells Jesus, look, I will follow you. But Jesus said, even the wild beasts have somewhere to lay their head. Did you not just see what happened to me in that Samaritan village? Look, I don't know if you understand, but where I'm going, it's not just a destination. 
Where I'm going, this mission is at hand, and my eyes are on the gaze and set upon the, the glory of my Father. I'm not just going to a, a place, but I'm fulfilling a promise. Yeah. Right? You say that you want to follow me wherever, but I'm not going to a where. I'm on assignment for God the Father, and I don't get to rest, I don't get to relax. In fact, if you were paying attention, I just got a, a, a rejected because of this mission that I have on my hand. And just as Jesus was warning this would-be disciple of his, I stopped to remind us that as followers of Jesus, who have their face set on the things of God, because of this mission that we're on, we too will arrive at places where we will not be received. We too will arrive at places where we will uh, uh, be rejected. We too will not sleep. We too will be restless. Because watch this, if you're heading for a specific destination, then that means that once you get to that destination, you can stop. You can take a break. You can rest, right? I mean, every single person in here tonight, when they leave, they're going to get in their cars, and they're going to drive to a specific destination. Some of them might be further than others, but once they get, once you get to that destination, you're going to get a chance to stop and then eventually rest. But when our orders come from heaven, and we're on mission for God, how are we going to have a place to stay? When do we take a break? When do we get to rest? We don't have a specific destination. Do you know what our destination is? All of the world. That's what our destination is. You know what our mission is? Our mission is making disciples of all nations. That's what our mission is. When we get to all nations, that's when we can rest. When we get to all of the world, that's when we get to take a break. Until we get to that point, we should be on full-time grind mode for the kingdom of God. God came to me and he said, Will, you're resting right now, but you don't deserve rest. He said, Will, you're resting right now, but you don't deserve rest. Why? Because you claim to be following me. But where are your eyes? Where is your face set? Where is your heart? Is it set on Jerusalem? Is it set on the temple? Is it set on the place where God dwells? Are we resting right now? Are we following after Christ? My God! My God! Come on! My God! Point number two is going to cost you your priorities. Follow along with me. In verse 59 it says, To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you... Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yeah. Here, family, we see yet another bold declaration of discipleship. Yeah. However, this time it doesn't come from a would-be follower of the leader. No, this time it comes from the Christ himself. All right. Now, in order to be a leader, you have to have followers, right? right. Like right. John Maxwell says, if you call yourself a leader and nobody's following you, yeah. you're simply taking a walk. Right, right. <laughs> and so Jesus, of course, was walking. But he had followers, right? He had followers, and he had, uh, had Jesus' followers were usually cut from a different type of cloth. Uh-huh. You know, Jesus had, of course, he had groupies. You know, he had people who were following him just to see the miracles and just to see the things. Right, right, Jesus right. had pineapples, of course. Jesus had all these people. But usually, uh-huh. the true disciples, the true followers of Jesus, were down for Jesus. Yeah. I have three sub-points that I want to give you. The master's command, the servant's priority, and the master's Open it, priority. Son. Open it. When I was in the Marine Corps... Uh, my brother Steve Weaver in the back knows about this. Uh, during boot camp, we marched everywhere we went. We called it close order drill. Okay. Right? We marched every day, day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. We marched from the chow hall to the school hall. We marched everywhere we went. We marched. And I'm thinking in my head, like, why are we marching? Right, like in the 1800s, I understand like this was probably tactful, right? When you march in the battle, you have troops in the battle, and the commander would be able to command hundreds of troops for probably this distance, right? And he would be able to tell them to go forward. He'd be able to tell them to go back. He'd be able to do because the commander, watch this. I'm point, I'm, I'm trying to point the picture, paint the picture. The commander would be able to see things that the troops couldn't see. Right, right. 
right? And so if you're marching, all you can see is the person in front of you, but the commander can see everything. Right. And he can command the troops. He can get them to go left, right, backwards, forwards on a dime, uh-huh. right? And so again, that made sense to me. I understood that. Yeah. But this is the 21st century. Like right. we don't have troops marching into Iraq like that, right? Or Afghanistan. Right. You know? right. Like why are we? Marching? We have Humvees, drones, tanks, airplanes, boats, ships, right. missiles. We even got the the, the drone you can fly from your computer screen at home, sitting on the couch. But why are we still marching, right? But what I understood was I had to ask the question: Why are we marching? And what I understood was that the purpose of close order drill, this is the literal definition, the purpose of close order drill was instant willingness and obedience to orders. My God! My God! Instant willingness and obedience to orders. This isn't just about marching, recruit Staley. You see, this is about a principle that we need to instill in you. In order to be a part of this branch of the military, when a leader gives a command, we don't need you to think, we don't need your suggestions, we don't need your opinion, we simply need Big brother, Pastor Kabuya, preached a sermon one time in AV called Everybody Has a Butt. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that was the most powerful sermon. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not going to preach it tonight because I'll just mess it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you can shake it down later for the short version. Uh-huh. The sub point number two, the sermon's priority. Luke records in part, part B, verse 59, he said, But he, he being the man, but he said to the Lord, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Yes. Now, when I was thinking, I was like, this man didn't listen to nothing Jesus just said. Right. And here I am thinking that Jesus had just given a command, given him a command, right. but apparently he asked him what he was doing later. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's good, Will. Jesus good. says two words, follow me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jesus gives him a command. But this first man's mistake is that his ears are not sensitive wow. to the Lord's wow. wow! I tried to be clear earlier, but let me, let me elaborate just in case I wasn't. The command is not negative uh-huh. or ill will. Uh-huh. The command is for direction. It's for guidance. And it only has your best interest in heart. But his ears are not sensitive to the master's commands. Why? Because he has his own agenda. Wow! Somebody looking at me right now. The master has a plan for you. He has direction for you. He has guidance for you. But you are not listening because your ears are not spiritually sensitive. Because you have your own agenda on your mind. My, 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 my. The man's second mistake is, is, is similar to his first one in that he put something else before God's command. Uh-huh. Some may say, well, well, don't you think that's a little bit extreme? Well, let's go back to the text. Verse 59, it says, to another, this is Jesus talking, 
He said, follow me. Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Uh-huh. Now, here's my question. Is there anything that comes before first? No, sir. Like, is that like a pre-first? No, sir. So if bury my father is first, that means the Lord's command to follow him must be second. And God will not tolerate silver. God wants your first fruit, not your leftovers. God wants your fertile first, not your sloppy seconds. This would-be follower of Jesus needs to check his priorities. Yes, sir. Now here in verse 60, we see the master's priority. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Mm. Now, did you notice in verse 59 that the man never tells Jesus that his father is dead? Yeah, yeah. The man tells Jesus that he must first go bury his father. Uh-huh. And now that would have been his duty and responsibility if he was the oldest son to look after the burial arrangements of his father. Right. But how does Jesus respond to the bury, or how does Jesus respond? He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now I'm scratching my head right here. I really didn't even want to, want to, want to bring this up tonight. Because I couldn't really understand it. So how can somebody who's dead bury somebody who's dead? Uh-huh. What, is that, what does that even mean? Well, Jesus is not talking about a literal death. He's talking in terms of the spiritual death. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life, and he who has not the Son has not life. In other words, because your Father doesn't have me already, he's dead already. And what you can do is you can leave somebody else who doesn't have me to bury him who's dead already. But as for you, I've got something else for you to do. And I want you to know that why Jesus doesn't make commands, why Jesus doesn't make suggestions, why Jesus doesn't ask what you have going on, because Jesus is God. Did he say Jesus is God? Yes, I said Jesus is God. Jesus didn't ask your personal story because he already knows your personal story. Jesus didn't ask for your excuse because he already knows your excuse. Jesus didn't ask about your family situation. He already knows your family situation. If God gives you a command, which is more than you deserve, that means that he knows what you need to do, and that he's already made provisions for what you think you need to do. We preach it, We I'm going to say that again. If God gives you a command, which is more than you deserve, that he's already made provision to take care of what you think that you need to take care of. I was a child and I was watching TV and my father comes up to me and says, son, uh, I need you to go clean the dishes in the sink. And I say, dad, let me first go clean the bathroom. <laughs> no, boy, what you need to do is <laughs> get to that, that kitchen yeah. and clean those dishes. Right, right. Maybe dad already cleaned the bathroom. Maybe dad had somebody else clean the bathroom. Maybe the bathroom really does need to be cleaned, but not by you. Right. You get your hard-headed stuff in the kitchen and go bust them stuff. God knows what's more important, and to become a true disciple, you're going to have to give up your priorities and trust in His. My little brother David preached in AB the other week. He said, God is not looking for your, your suggestions. He needs your obedience. Wow. Very good. Very good. Point number three, it's going to cost you your round-trip ticket. In verse 61, he said, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Yes. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Oh my God. Here, family, we have the third declaration of another would-be disciple of Jesus. Uh Who, like the first gentleman, volunteers himself to follow Jesus, right? Yet he, just like our last candidate, says, 
I will follow you, Lord, but. But. Pastor, you're right. Everybody's got a but. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will follow you, Lord, but first let me. This gentleman, again, just like the last, has something that has to come first. He says, Jesus, I want to say bye to those at my house. But what does Jesus say? Verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Because of the agricultural ties of Palestine, Jesus uses these elements to open the eyes of the followers to see what the kingdom of God is really like. You see, the plows that we have today are, are, are attached to a tractor. And you just jump in the tractor and you drive and all you need to do is drive straight right? to get the, the ground plow. But you see, the plows that they had, there was actually a plowman who was doing the plowing. And he would attach himself to something that looked like a wheelbarrow. And he would have a strap behind his back like this. And he would have something that was going in the ground. And there was usually, he was usually being pulled by some type of an animal. Right, like right, right. Or something, right? So this, if, if, you, if, I can, if I painted the picture well, you can see that this is toilsome work. Yes. Right? It, it took much concentration, especially because the plow was light and it could easily be overturned. Right? Now imagine how difficult that is already. And then trying to look back. Come on. How about this even better? You're driving down the highway. And you say, oh, my exit's coming up. You put on your turn signal, and you look back. And then you look back forward, and what happens? You are, no, no, no. You already started to drift over into the other lane. You see that? Yeah. You already started to drift over into the other lane, because when you're looking back, you will fall off of the straight path. Wow. When you look back, you begin to focus on what's behind you wow. instead of concentrating on what's behind you. Watch this. When you buy a round-trip ticket, the reason why you buy a round-trip ticket is because you have a plan to go back the way you came. But what Jesus is saying is that if you want to follow me, if you want to go this way, if you want to go the way, it's a one way. It calls for all of your efforts. It calls for you to go all in. And guess what? It's one way that you can't turn around. There's no looking back. Because if you look back, that means that you're only doing half of the work. If you're only doing half of the work, then we're only getting half of the result. If Jesus calls you out of a situation, he calls you out of some mess, he's freed you from bondage, he's broken your shackles, and you are to follow him, not only are you not to go back, you're not even supposed to look back. Okay. Okay. Remember Lot's wife. The famous warning of Jesus from Luke chapter 17, verse 32, three words. Remember Lot's wife. Now my question is, did you buy a round trip ticket? Or is yours one way? One way. Jesus says no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back now we talked about the different costs tonight. It's going to cost us our rest. Uh-huh. It's going to cost us our priorities. Uh-huh. It's going to cost us our round trip ticket. But notice that it's only going to cost the things that we think are important. Okay. And can I tell you why it's going to cost us? That's no. will. Because it costs Jesus all. Yeah. The Son of Man Himself, who rightfully deserves all of these things, Himself paid the cost. It cost Jesus rest. He lived a life of self-denial, of humility, of poverty. Even in dying, when he finally would lay his head down to rest, he didn't even have a place to lay his head down. No, sir. He borrowed the tomb from somebody else. Yeah. Okay. 
Who is even here? Even in death. That's good, sir. It's called Jesus' priorities, his kingdom position in heaven, yeah. his comforts, his riches, his constant communion with the triune God. Jeremy Riddle has a song that says this is amazing grace, and in the song he says, what kind of king leaves his throne? Yeah, yeah. What kind of king leaves his throne? What kind of king leaves his glory to die? What kind of king leaves his glory to die? And it cost Jesus his round trip ticket. Once Jesus began on his path, there was no turning back. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he died, he prayed to the Father. If there is any other way, take this cup from me. Yeah. But Jesus was all in. And there was only one way. Yes, sir. But why did it cost so much? Why is the cost so high? Tell us. The reason why true followers of Christ are willing to miss football games Sunday morning and enter into the house of prayer, uh -huh. the reason why we're willing to spend hours praying, spend hours studying to give 10% of our check back to God plus an offering, or we're willing to be last, or we're willing to turn the other cheek, or we're willing to, we're, 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 we don't give in to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the reason why is because not only do we understand the cost of following Christ, uh -huh. but we also understand the value of the problem. Yeah! You see, in economics, the cost is the price that, a willing, uh, that an individual is willing to pay for the value of a product, yeah. right? You know, and I know some people who love Black Friday shopping. And not even that, just love a good sale in general, uh -huh. right? The shoes go on sale, the clothes go on sale, the cars go on sale, the electronics go on sale. When the cars go on sale, it's, there's something that I noticed that I see like the commercials everywhere, right? Uh -huh. I see the Toyota commercial everywhere. I see the Honda commercials everywhere. Yeah. I even see the Mercedes-Benz commercials everywhere, like the 4th of July sale, the big summer blowout, right? uh -huh. the right. back-to-school sale. Mm -hmm. But have you ever seen the, the, the Black Friday Rolls Royce commercial? What you say? Uh, no, no. Have you ever seen the, the back-to-school sale Bentley commercial? <laughs> To be honest, I don't even know where to buy a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. Let's go, let's go. Because I don't see the commercials. Right, right. They don't have commercials. Right, right. They don't have commercials. They don't have commercials. They don't have sales. But why? Why don't they have commercials? Why don't they have sales? It's because greatness is never on Disney.
called to do something. Yes, sir. But we pay these costs willingly. Because although the cost is great, the value is priceless. Amen. Amen.